Welcome back to another edition of Balling in the Six. You're getting content every three days. I hope you're very grateful because you're getting up-to-date playoff analysis, previews, dissections, interviews, and of course, humour at the end of it all. Without further ado, let's get right into it. When they talk of playoff Kawhi, it seems so long ago that the 2014 finals had Kawhi Leonard be the series MVP and lead Greg Popovich's team to the championship. And during game one, he was all right, but I was kind of wondering, okay, when is this man going to show up? He showed up on Tuesday night, big time. Varal, is this Kawhi's final form? Yeah, it's really interesting you bring up 2014, mate. I mean, that was a young Kawhi in a team full of studs. And I know at the time, people didn't argue that he didn't deserve the award. But when you had, you still had Timmy, you still had Ginobili there, you still had Parker. Although it shouldn't have surprised people, it did. And I think he has reached this point in his career where, you know... I, I would say probably he hasn't reached his final form. Like we were talking about his uh, minutes restriction. So as a Toronto fan, I'm sure you're hoping he's only going to go upwards from here. Yeah, but I mean, I don't see where he can go upwards. He scored 37 points, 15 of 22 shooting. And some of the shots you were making, and we saw them in regular season, but to translate that into the postseason is just, I mean, it's just like robot-like as we like to describe Kawhi. And uh, overall, though, I think... For sure. He's, a very, he's very much... Um, I would compare him to like the Novak Djokovic of tennis. So as a purist, say, like there are other people who, when you watch them shoot, for example, it's, it's more rewarding to watch them. It's, you can almost tell that there's more natural talent and more fluidity. But when uh, Kawhi had a season, I think it was like three years ago, when he shot a, a league high, sorry essentially from the three-point line, it was because his mechanics were so unbelievably repetitive. They weren't very pretty, but I think he really is a testament to how he must, the amount of work he must put into the gym. And I imagine it's incredibly repetitive and monotonous work. It's, other people might be in the gym where they take five shots from one spot, move around, take five shots from another uh, spot. But I imagine Kawhi just from how repetitive his mechanics are for everything, I imagine he must be just in every single position and do every single move, like just hundreds of times in a row. I think that's the only way to explain how it can be so consistent. Well, of course, as well as that, you need that mental mental strength yeah. in order to pull it off in postseason. And I mean, the fact is he's done it before under Pop. And although he was very good in game one, I think this game showed how he just can single-handedly guide a team. Because all of the Raptors were good, but he kind of single-handedly guided the victory in Would the end. Would you say there were a lot of like isolation shots? Or was it a part of the team like offense? He was it was part of the team. I mean, he took his usual mix. I mean, the thing that Raptors do is generally, you know, when, when someone isos, they just, they, get, they give him a lot of, you know, they shift to one side of the court. They give him a lot of space to operate in. So that was, um, that accounted for, that did account for a few of his shots, but a lot of them were yeah. catch and shoot and um, 
Because the likes of, I mean, if we move on to another player, Kyle Lowry, of course, who we talked about in the first yeah. game. And I believe the even the title of that podcast was Kyle Lowry will, will be finals MVP. Mm. And I must say, I, I didn't consent to that title, but uh, it oh, That was an editorial decision. Um, <laughs> temporary co-host. Um, but he came back with 22 points, 8 of 13 shooting, 4 rebounds, 7 assists and a couple of steals. And three charges taken, actually, which was which were yeah. invaluable to stop yeah. any magic momentum. So he came back very strong. Siakam, of course, carried on his form. And then Ibaka off the bench, scoring 13. Mm. Overall, an efficient Raptors performance and one, I guess, which we thought the game one might be like. And which I think, yeah, do you yeah, think yeah. that the rest of the series will be like this? Or do you think the games in, in Orlando will prove to be a little more tricky? Yeah, after this performance, I mean, it is what everyone was expecting. But this is something we did mention before the whole series started, how hit and miss this Magic team is going to be. So, again, it'd be very easy for both of us to say now, yeah, we see a 4-1 coming, but next game, who after DJ Augustine in game one, it could be Evan Fournier goes off, it could be against Terrence Ross going off. Um. I'd say, yeah, their form is very hard to predict. But I think potentially the Raptors here have turned the corner in the series. And I think uh, we're not going to see another, like, Carl Lowry zero-point performance. I know despite the fact that we talked about the fact that he did still have good moments in that game, I think it's hard, to, it's hard not to say 4-1. You'd probably agree there. Uh, yep, I think we can maintain our, maintain our prediction there. One series we might not be able to maintain that prediction is Clippers against the Warriors and especially I believe it was three quarters of the way in to Tuesday night's game to Monday night's game sorry the Warriors were up 31 and I know DeMarcus Cousins had gone out injured of the game but up 31 you'd still expect Steve Kerr's team to close out the game well what on earth happened I've I've been recovering since that day. It's been hard to not come out of shock. I've been having recurring episodes of PTSD. And frankly, who saw that coming? I would love to know the odds at that moment in time when it was 31 points down. If anyone had the audacity to make a bet at that time, that, I imagine the odds were just something ridiculous. But it seems that this team is obsessed with two numbers, Three and one. It's very unfortunate that it correlated with a certain series score. I, <laughs> and I am not even, surprised. I mean, they scored 131 quite appropriately as well. Uh, yeah. I am not surprised, Kamel. You, I think you uh, went for the bolder prediction last time that the, you expected a 20-point win. And I said, I said 10 points, but really, some of the things that happened in the last game didn't happen here. So... The Warriors weren't as dominant defensively as they were in Game 1. And they didn't um, massively out-rebound the Clippers. Again, they didn't block them in every area of the court. But potentially, they uh, they just got complacent. Uh, I don't know. Do you have any explanation for it? Well, I don't. Well, I think I don't. But Kevin Durant had a great explanation for it. Um, he gave a... 
So Kevin had a brilliant explanation of his struggles and he essentially credited a very innovative or as he uh, Doc Rivers defensive system where they force play some they play very aggressive help defense and that's really stopped putting ball on the floor and getting space as soon as as soon as uh, one of the Warriors top three players gets the catch bang a Clippers player is right with them and the Clippers of course have length they're excellent defensively and it seemed to work so far rather do you think that this can continue throughout the series or will Steve Kerr counter it in the upcoming games so Essentially, you're saying the basis of the strategy is probably to help off of players in the paint. Um, so, like, if they're basically giving up potentially the drive and the basket in the middle to be closer to like the three point shooters. Is that essentially what it comes down to? In fact, he credited that. Well, Kevin Durant's actually said, I've played against every defense, but just not this type. There's constant help on my drives. They're poking the ball when I'm dribbling. Two guys rushing me. So they're basically doubling oh. playing like Durant and like Curry and just not letting them have any space at all. Yeah. And so extent they are giving up the drive and, you know, willing to give up free throws if, if they go past you. Yeah. But they're really putting the Warriors off their game, which is quite an interesting quite an interesting one, actually. I mean, that does actually make uh, some sense in terms of the Warriors do have quite poor three-point shooters outside of the big three. Uh, quite strange to talk about the Warriors' poor three-point shooting, but if you really look at who surrounds those guys, now that DeMarcus is uh, injured and he wasn't particularly a fantastic three-point shooter, Draymond hasn't really been a very good three-point shooter since really the year where he had the eight uh, three-pointers in the finals game. Um, in the finals game seven, and if you look at Iggy, Sean Livingston, who else did they give minutes to? Jordan Bell. These are all guys who you want to be shooting from the outside. So potentially, yeah, that is a very viable strategy. And um, talking about Kevin Durant, I think this game for me highlights why I think he won't see success on another team if he does leave in the summer. He is far too sensitive to lead a team by himself. And I think he has had two fantastic final series against LeBron, but it really, to me, it underscores the importance of Stephen Curry. I think the confidence that Stephen gave him maybe is what propelled him to actually really perform in those uh, series, knowing that if he didn't have the best game, Steph would be there to prop up uh, any failure he may have. And so... When we saw his antics with Patrick Beverly in the first game, you just thought, oh, it's a bit of back and forth. It's, it's entertaining to watch for the fans. Kevin's not really taking this too seriously. But then it comes to game two, and it's like Patrick's just like set up a home in his head. Kevin had nine turnovers in that game, which, again, you talked about how he attributed that to the hard defense that they played, but... I don't know, for a player of his calibre, that is really quite appalling. Nine turnovers is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, even if we look at Kawhi's worst games, we see six or seven at the most. Nine against Clippers? That is um, that is something else. Um, Clippers often you have to credit as well, of course. Um, yeah. Lou Williams, 36 off the bench. Absolutely. 
he's just, I mean, he's proven himself to be a phenomenal sixth yeah. man. He also got 11 assists, which people aren't bringing right. up. Yeah, 36 and 11 off the bench. Phenomenal. Harrell, who I'm a huge fan of his energy and hustle, 25 with 10 rebounds off the bench as well. Yeah, Harrell had so, a fantastic game. But I think that just, it was one of those games where everything went really nicely for the Clippers, and I don't think it's sustainable for for the long term. I think that this is this is the gentleman's sweep. It's still on for the Warriors. I completely disagree with you there. I think this DeMarcus injury is going to potentially demoralise them more than anticipated. And it, indeed, it potentially is why they uh, lost ahead of steam in that game. But this Clippers team is, again, not to be underestimated. Their regular season record really showed that well, they're just as good as I say the four, five, six teams above them up until maybe I'd say the Warriors, the Rockets, and the Nuggets potentially cut off point, but they're just as good as the rest of those teams, the, the remaining five. So um, I wouldn't be at all surprised if they won a game on their home floor. If they won two games on their home floor, um, it sounds quite blasphemous to say now, but this team is really, really quite. It, they're just very scrappy, and I think. Potentially, that's why they're going to carry on giving the Warriors a hard time. The Warriors know they're not going to get three wins, and really, all three of their main stars need to perform for them to win the games. Yep, and from what what basis we've seen in this postseason, did LeBron choose the wrong LA team? Right. Yeah, that's always going to be a big question. That's a big discussion. Yeah. We don't need to go too deep into it, but there's a lot of evidence that says. Perhaps he did. Yeah. Uh, what other games right the last couple of days? Yeah, so I think one thing I found interesting and not, and not at all surprising was the Rockets-Jazz game. Um, we kind of... Uh, I It really broke down why I thought the Jazz were defending them incorrectly. And um, I hate to say it, slightly proven right in game two. Harden not only had the triple-double, but Again, the Jazz tried to rely on driving him right, just thinking, oh, that's his weak side. But what with a superstar like Harden, when you show him the same thing over and over again, he's going to be able to adapt and learn how to play to that. So he's been seeing that. So I mean, there was a there's a clip of Rubio showing him to the right, and it's just, I mean, it's it's almost comical in how blatant the strategy is yeah. I think as you said almost just he got used to it very quickly and he's almost laughing at it now I'm drop 32 13 and 10 yeah if you're going to do that defense you can't do it every single time it's I always uh like to bring the analogy back to American football you they don't ever run the same play say five six seven times in a row even as a defense you want to be unpredictable I think potentially that's what uh, some teams are kind of overlooking in the NBA. Like, it makes the offense actually, you know, I don't know, have to adapt. And I guess, again, Harden's been seeing this for 30 games now. So, yeah, it's just, it's frustrating. And I'd still love to see Jay Crowder on him, but I, I don't really see that happening. Yeah, he only, Jay Crowder, of course, only played 19 yeah, minutes really last game. For some reason. I guess his 3 point shooting no, I mean, he still trusts Rubio. <laughs> to guard Harden, which is I don't know. 
cause a mismatch. Yeah. So um, I think we're going to go over one more game, uh, and it's one that was talked about a lot. Uh, it may be not so much by Raptors fans in the context of the Magic win, but the Blazers' second victory over the OKC Thunder. Yeah. Once again, we we didn't see Cantor go off this time, but we saw the very explosive, reliable backcourt of Lillard and McCollum completely go off, completely dominate the likes of Westbrook. It's maybe how the OKC are missing Andre Robeson, missing that defence that he can bring on both Lillard and McCollum. And instead, they're having to play almost a scrub in Terence Ferguson. Ooh, no. I, I'd really, I, would, I hope you retract that statement. I definitely wouldn't call him that. Uh, well, I don't know what a player who plays 30 minutes, goes three from nine from the field, gets no assists, and gets seven points is anything but. Okay. With Terence Ferguson, so um, articles I've been reading about Andre Robertson, supposedly he's been really cementing the young guard's defence. So one of uh, Terence Ferguson's actually, I wouldn't say one of his weaknesses, but he wasn't such a strong defender last year. And this year, if you've actually looked at it, this is a debate that Thunder fans have actually been having as to if Andre Robertson gets back, will he actually even get into the starting lineup? Because Terence Ferguson has been that good defensively. And interestingly, his three-point shooting has been very good. It may have been good, but in the context of a matchup against Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, he's the weakest out of those four. Oh, absolutely. I would absolutely say and I think Robertson could at least hold his own on the defensive end, but Ferguson is by far the weakest and will be yeah, targeted. He needs to whoever is he does need to bulk up uh, somewhat. But yeah, like what Andre Robertson brings, though it's it's a whole it's a whole mentality to that defense. They give absolutely nothing for free when he's on the floor, and um, the fact that he can switch onto really every position but the five. Um, he is an absolutely phenomenal cutter, so it does make up for his um, poor three-point shooting, which is, I did talk about that in the context with Ben Simmons. But interestingly, in this game, it's um, seeing Russell Westbrook after the game, actually, at the press conference, apologise for his play, which I wasn't really, I didn't think that was really the best way to go. I understand that that's him showing that he's fully aware of any criticisms he may be receiving, but I think right now, potentially that locker room is losing a little bit. You really want the leaders of your team to allow these setbacks to overwhelm them potentially. So I didn't think it was the best move by Westbrook doing that after the game. That's fair. Do you think the Blazers can carry on this sweeping form that they're in? And I say sweep because it's very possible now that after losing 10 playoff games in a row, they could sweep a very, very strong OKC team. Yeah. um, I think the the one way which they can slightly adjust their game would be to actually slightly 
rework their whole offensive system and generally to so it's been happening for like three seasons now but it's still happening in these playoffs games which is incredibly frustrating but Adams still isn't in the post enough in terms of rebounding defensively so there Ross wins rebounds and it actually is very much to the detriment of the team to actually stat pad and it's very very like it's clearly visible that Adams is a willing participant in him grabbing those defensive rebounds but um, offensively you would need what we were talking about is to get the ball to Adams in the low post because I've seen people criticise Adams saying oh he doesn't really have a post game but he does have fairly good footwork and he does have very very and he's strong (laughs) yeah yeah he can absolutely bully people but even if he doesn't do that he hits a lot of um, baby hooks for example like the first game he might have hit five or six the majority of his points were in that fashion so although he's not um, he doesn't really shoot outside the paint you don't need him to do that I think if you went back to that slightly more old-fashioned big man in the post game, then I could see them doing something. But that's not the kind of thing you can implement just suddenly in a playoff game. Like that's something you needed to train from the start of the season and sort of implemented in regular. Yeah, season I think it'd be a bit nightmarish if they change uh, it suddenly. And of course, they even when yes, they were preparing maybe a few weeks ago, they they probably thought. Uh, Nurkic, who's quite strong in the post, we've been matching up with Adams. And, you know, I do praise right. your fellow Turk, Enes Kanter. He's not the strongest in the post, but again, they couldn't really prepare Adams for that so close in advance, which is quite an interesting thing that maybe right. people aren't thinking about, which is a great point from you, uh, temporary co host. You're looking for a promotion? Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, it was a really good I, insight, I, actually. I, a humble anchor, I could, I could never ask. Well, good because I, you're not getting one. Um, let's move on to tonight's games. I think what uh, we've got Warriors, Clippers, Nuggets, Spurs. But I think the one which would be really interesting is Philly against Nets. Of course, blew them out in yeah. the second game. But I think a lot of the reason interestingly think, against your prediction. Yeah, but I think yeah. a big a big reason for that was no Jared Dudley, and of course Dudley back from injury. He was yeah. in practice today. He's had beef with Ben Simmons, so. Uh, the veteran player called Simmons very average, and the 22-year-old Australian said, "I'm not doing the accent, but that's coming from Jared Dudley. Come on!" So it'll be a lovely little matchup tonight, I expect. Yeah, yeah, that'll that'll be fun to watch, and I think, yeah, we don't really quite know what to expect from the Sixers game. The sec in the second game, Ben Simmons. Did but I think no, Jared Dudley but... made a huge difference, and I I don't know, I don't think anyone would be saying that at the start of. Start of the series. Oh, yeah, but yeah, fair, yeah, yeah. fair enough. Well, this man changed the complexion Adams. of the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I think people would have expected Jarrett Allen with all his like highlight blocks that he's had this season to be the main center matchup. But um, yeah, I think it has surprised everyone. Yeah. Really. So um, what do you say? Just tonight? Not this. We're not predicting the series. We're just predicting tonight. I say Nets. It's in Brooklyn. I say Nets. You say Nets. Yeah, I'm going to have to go with... Fair enough. We'll uh, come back to it next time. Nuggets, Spurs. I'm saying Spurs. Spurs. I'm saying Spurs, home form. Spurs, home form. You can't beat it. 
Yeah, they are. They're, I think they're the biggest disparity in terms of their home versus away record. Yeah, they're um, they're thirty-two um, and nine at home. They're sixteen yeah. and twenty-five away. So that game they want to win. Huge, huge win. Um, they could well go up three-one by the end of the week. I'm actually going to give this to the Nuggets, seeing as how in the last game the Nuggets really seemed like they started clicking in the second half more with Jamal Murray had a fantastic and really good management in the last game with Jamal Murray he uh the coach said I need I needed him to know I believed in him and of course Jamal Murray delivered that in that fourth quarter yeah yeah he's turning into yeah and then uh last game Warriors against the Clippers we've discussed a little bit I say straight Warriors I say they're going to brush that Brush that last result off. And even though it is in LA, I think it's going to be another blowout. I think it's going to be an absolutely titanic nuclear blowout. I think the Warriors are going to be absolutely fuming after what happened last time. So I think I agree. Yep, with sorry, you Doc. Uh, we ain't bucking your boys today. Viral, we're no. producing content every two days. Thank you once again for appearing on this podcast. You'll be hearing from us again really, really soon. We're going to be producing a lot throughout the playoffs, whether it's just me, me and someone else, whether it's my temporary co-host, you're going to be hearing a lot of us, a lot of London NBA voices. So thank you for tuning in. It's, it's a factory line and uh, that, that's it, man. We're just just bang, bang, up. bang. That's all you need. That's it, that's it. Like, uh, I'll see you in a couple of days. Catch you later. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe to us on whatever platform you listen to this onto. Give us a five-star rating. Follow us on Twitter at BallingInTheSix. And of course, tune in in a couple of days for your next edition of the London-based NBA and Toronto Raptors podcast.